Welcome to Once Upon a Disney, an analytical yet fun-loving look at Disney narrative filmography from the 20th century. I'm Andy Redwine, and with me is my co-host on this podcast, where anything can happen, Larry Brenner. How are you, Larry? I'm doing great, Andy. Uh, You know, I always get excited for our one Jim Henson episode uh, (laughs) a season. Um, So, you know, I'm practically beside myself. But also beside us, we have our guest today, Brett. Our guest star. Yay. Brett has the the distinction of being our first four-time guest on this (laughs) podcast, holding the record. Uh, You've heard Brett in... uh, in other episodes, he was in Emperor's New Groove, 10,000 Leagues Under the Sea, and Tron. And we've realized that we need to bring him back for the most challenging movies that we do, which includes today's movie, uh, The Dark Crystal from 1982. Uh, also, <clears throat> I should plug, uh, Brett is one of the co-creators of The Holy Goof. Uh, where you can get all sorts of information on movies and and what have you, and is a screenwriter of of some great skill. Hey guys, it's great being back. Things have been crazy recently. Um, I'm moving from an apartment to a house, but I always love you guys, so I will always make time for you. Aww. I'm really excited to to do this. I rewatched this movie for the first time in like years, you know, uh, just recently, uh, yesterday morning while I was getting things ready. So it's, uh, yeah, I'm excited to delve into this. Yeah, I am too. Um, so the dark crystal from 1982 is produced by Jim Henson company. It makes it Disney adjacent now. Right. Um, the movie is not on Disney plus. So if you go looking on Disney plus, you're not going to find it. Uh, but it is rentable on Amazon prime and YouTube, I think. Right. Yeah, and some of us opened opened up our DVD that uh, we've had sitting there for some time, and we played it. That's right. It's been a long time since it had been opened. Um, No, yeah, I was surprised because it was on Netflix for a time, but now it's gone. Yes, so I was confused. I had to I had to rent it on Amazon. Yep. Well, maybe they're juggling it around. Who even knows? So, well, let's get some key facts down to get this party started. So, for historical context. The early, and you guys can back me up on this, the early 80s see a lot of sci-fi fantasy movies, many of which are made or partially made in the United Kingdom. So you have Flash Gordon, Clash of the Titans, Excalibur, Time Bandits, which I particularly like, The NeverEnding Story, Hawk the Slayer. So you have magic and wizardry and heroism and sorcery. Just Yeah, Conan, right. Um, Just abound in this time period. And you also get some kind of weird movies like Xanadu <laughs> or the Bass and Rankin return of the King from Lord oh, of the Rings yeah. trilogy, which mm. is pretty bad. Um, what? It holds up. <laughs> yeah. What about, what about Zardoz? Oh yeah, that's, uh, yeah, that's bad. Ooh, that's um, there's also gross. an animated film called Heavy Metal, which you yes. may or may not remember. It's John Candy. I've seen, yeah. Eugene Levy. Cool. Yeah, it's, it's so, okay. So, that's kind of the landscape. As far as Disney movies go, it's a little weird for them as well. Well, this isn't a Disney movie, though. No. Yes. Well, but the time, now that right? it's Disney yeah. adjacent. It folded in. I, yeah, I think it gets folded in, but I think it, you know, I think it works, actually. So the early 80s, we see Herbie's Herbie Goes Bananas, which is the fourth in the Herbie series. The Last Flight of Noah's Ark. Which is super strange. It's that. super strange. I think we should probably cover it on this podcast at some point. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, 
Uh, what about Rob- Flight of the Navigator? Was that Disney? Yes. Yeah, we did that, that one. A, we did that one. That's okay. a little right. little later. That's a little okay. uh, late 80s. Um, so Robert Altman does Popeye, uh, The Watcher in the Woods, which we've covered on uh, The Fox and the Hound, which is, again, not typical Disney fare. No. Dragon Slayer, if you ever saw hey. Dragon Slayer. I have. Tr- Tron, which we the three of us have covered. Never, Never Cry Wolf, which I think is a great drama. Something Wicked This Way Comes. So, again, yeah. the films coming out of the very early 80s that seemed very innovative at the time might also feel a little slow and weird to us today. And maybe a little dark in terms of content for today's sensibilities for family viewing. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the first ever season of Saturday Night Live in 1975, Jim Henson does several sketches entitled The Land of Gorge. Now, Jim does this because he was really afraid he was going to be typecast because of his work on Sesame Street. It's just, you know, I just do children's work, right? So he creates this sort of royal family in a faraway land whose comedy was adult. Now, the other SNL writers weren't thrilled with the land of Gorch and did a lot of writing outside of Henson's original vision of older, more adult Muppets. Okay. So to make a very long story short, Henson launches the Muppet show in 1976 and everyone's a lot happier. But if you look at some of the actual puppets from the land of Gorch, you'll definitely see some recycled designs for the Dark Crystal. Right. Yes. That's cool. Yeah, the land of Gorch sketches are a historical footnote. I don't know that I recommend anybody go to see them for entertainment purposes, uh, mm-hmm. maybe historical purposes, but it just wasn't a good fit. No, it's not. And the Muppet show is so much better. Life-changing, so, some fun. would say. Well, the Muppet show is hey. life-changing. <laughs> some would say, right. So screenwriter but David- that, like That makes sense, yeah. though, that he would want to kind of put himself out there with those SNL skits, like... Trying, trying to do something different, uh, right. trying to show that, you know, we can use this medium of puppets, not just for children. And that's like really ahead of his time. That's really like genius of him and really brave to like try and push that out there when like no one is going to look at puppets and be like, ah, it's for adults. But like he right. had a vision and that's it's awesome. And now we have the Muppets and like, sure, Muppets is still family friendly, but like. It's definitely not like for the littlest of kids. Well, you can watch it. You can watch it enough to use good jokes in there that adults can understand. Right. You can watch it on two levels. It's kind of like the Simpsons or something. You can watch it on a couple of different levels. And, you know, yeah. so uh, David O'Dell, who's a screenwriter who works on The Muppet Show, uh, wrote a book called Reflections on Making the Dark Crystal and Working with Jim Henson. And he claims the philosophy of the Dark Crystal was inspired by Jane Roberts's Seth material. And the Seth material was something that Henson was just fascinated by, according to Odell. Now, Jane Roberts was a spirit medium who channeled an entity she referred to as Seth. So Jane would enter into a trance state and dictate things that Seth told her to her second husband. So, uh, Odell states, I've always felt that the idea of perfect being split into a good mystic part and evil materialistic part, which are reunited after a long separation, is Jim's response to the teachings of that book. Hmm. Although that's not necessarily a new idea. That that idea of like souls being um, 
God, am I going to say bipartite? I'm going to say bipartite. Uh, <laughs> but I mean, the idea that that we have this struggle of our good higher self and our base urges. I, I look at um, C.S. Lewis's The Screwtape Letters is, sure. is yes, a great absolutely. example of this. Mm-hmm. Uh, the concepts of yin and yang. Uh, mm-hmm. you, 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 Apollonian and Dionysian from, from Greek mythology. I mean, sure. it's everywhere. There's, it's It's got a strong literary foundation that I think predates even that. Although that's fascinating right. too. Yeah, so the noted movie Chicago Tribune critic uh, Gene Siskel claimed that the Dark Crystal was a Star Wars ripoff, which I wondered if you guys thought that might was a fair assessment. What? That's yeah. interesting. I actually had I didn't, the second you said that I went, oh, like in terms of like. The hero's journey is mm-hmm. very similar. He's a plucky young kid that's like thrown out of his his whatever life and is thrust on this like epic adventure where he must save, you know, whatever. But that's so basic. That's like a base. That's everything. Like, that's like that's, I, yeah, that's the Hobbit. Story. That's like Lord of the Rings. That's I don't right. It's, yeah. it's, it's I, a, I am mad at this. Quest, right? I'm mad at this comparison, Andy, because yeah. because it's not because it's not a ripoff of Star Wars that that. That that presumes that Star Wars isn't a ripoff of Greek mythology. Exactly. Uh, it's Star Wars didn't yeah, originate this idea of a young boy going on a quest to save the world. Get out of here, Gene Siskel. Uh, <laughs> he must have just watched Star Wars and then done a double feature day and then watched you know, Dark no. Crystal and being like, ah, oh, man. You know what it is? He just watched Return of the Empire. And he's like, puppet and yeah. puppets. And, oh, oh interesting. Yeah, because it's Yoda. Yoda. I just watched Empire. Yeah. Yeah. He's comparing Yoda and Agra. That's what he's oh, doing. That's fair. And, and that is a fair parallel. But okay, it yeah, is yeah, yeah. not the same story. He also he also claimed something that I thought was a little more. I think it had some a little more gravitas. Um, he he claims that an absence of dramatic tension uh, was caused by constantly being by the 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 film constantly telling us that it's going to have a happy ending in the first part of the movie, and that that loses some dramatic tension. I was curious what y'all thought about that. I mean, that's true. You should never do that. Um, I, <laughs> and they I, do it like three times, right? I, so. I think it is entirely fair I'll, 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 to say fair. like, to, to say at the beginning of the movie, this has a happy ending, uh, robs you of all possible stakes here. Yeah. Uh, no, I, I think that's true. I, I, okay. I sustain, I also, Gene Siskel, you're allowed back in. As a, a like a children's fable, you can say it does have a happy ending, but right. be wary. It's still going to be scary. It's like Princess Bride, right? Uh, okay. But but Princess Bride still has tension because it's still edited with tension. And there's like, this movie yeah. has a big pacing problem. I there, would also like, argue that the movie actually doesn't deliver on the perfect happy ending uh, that, that it espouses. And we can talk about why when we get to the ending of this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but well, despite despite the critics' pan of all this, this movie did quite well at the box office in the U.S. Believe it or not, and it has a seventy-seven percent Tomato Meter rating and an eighty-one percent audience score on Rotten Tomatoes. Okay, people like this movie, and I think as it ages, um, personally, I think it becomes a more interesting allegory. 
particularly now with the prequel, there's 10 episodes in associate, right. which we will not be discussing in dis- association with Netflix called yeah. uh, the dark crystal age of resistance. So. Listener, we made a pact uh, before <laughs> the did. start of this. Uh, That's right. As much as we want to talk about uh, dark crystal age of resistance. And I got to tell you, I really do it. If we have to go to a TV series that was made 40 years after the movie in order to explain the movie, that is going to be damning. So we made, we made, a, we made an oath. It is unbreakable that we will stay in our lane and right. only use what this movie gives us. Yeah. Fair enough. Yes. That being said, I do think like the show itself is fascinating yes and it is is a wonder of production just like the movie where everything is puppetry and it's wizardry and like that's great but in terms of storyline and stuff we yeah we're not gonna complete complete agreement so shall we get into the plot of it all dig in here we go Okay, I'm going to do the best I can because there are a couple of places where the where the plot gets a little wibbly wobbly on me. <laughs> but we begin, as we always do with the Manish Tana, where we ask the question, why does this mo- movie begin at the place where it begins? And there's a, there's a couple of things that happen at the beginning of this that I, that I want to talk about. We start uh, there's a narrator voice that drops out of the movie a little bit later who comes in with a lot of gravitas, almost like what we're watching is some sort of nature documentary in Thra. He tells us <laughs> he tells us that the world suffered this great change in which like Skeksis and mystics, uh, emerged onto the world and split off into two separate directions. He tells us that um, the the dark crystal is extremely important, that a new age is upon us. And then he tells us that like the things about the Skeksis in specific, that they are evil, vile, contemptible, rule an, rule an empire, uh, and that their empire emperor is dying which is which is a new thing that has not occurred before and i'm going to throw out to you why do we begin this movie in this way there are other places we could start but we start here and i'll add on to it why incorporate a narrator into this movie if the narrator is not going to, I, I mean, let's face it, 15 minutes into the movie, the narrator died. Uh, and they just like, we're just going to have to keep filming without him. Um, hmm. Why yep. Why do we have a narrator at the start of this? Which question do you guys want to tackle first? Why we start where Ooh. we start or why the, uh, hmm. let's start with why we start where we start, then come back to the narrator. Well, I think they're intrinsically connected, actually. Great. Okay. Personally, I think, I think. In terms of the in-universe world, starting where we start, it's because I mean, it's it's they, they talk about it, it's like the the solstice or the eclipse or whatever is like supposed to happen. The the um, the three suns coming together. Yeah, right. exactly. So that's like, and and part of the prophecy is like when this happens is like when things change and like this big 
you know, convergence. Isn't, isn't it called the convergence or something? Yeah, something like the that. The great convergence. Okay. Yeah, it, mm-hmm. the great convergence. Yeah, it's supposed to occur. So in terms of like why the the adventure needs to take place at this point in time in like the history of the world, it's because the convergence is about to happen. And so that's like a whole like in-universe big thing. Now, why he would start it with a narrator, I think is because of just the conventions of the time and the conventions of like that sort of, like I think Henson saw it as like a fantasy, you know, like book that he would read like his children almost, like almost like how Tolkien wrote, you know, The Hobbit as like a bedtime story. Mm-hmm. I feel like he just kind of was just like, well, that's just kind of how you do it, right? A lot you of set Disney the world movies up begin with, with this the book opening, like, right? Yeah, this kind of like sure. once upon a time, like it's supposed to be this kind of like fantasy book that someone is reading to you. And I think that's what he was trying to like, he was trying to get that feeling of it. Now he didn't fully succeed because you're right. Like they don't fully utilize it. They kind of forget about it. And like that, it doesn't show up at the end. It should book up. It should bookend. Like, right. It, mm-hmm. He should at least show up at the end. And like, I don't remember the narrator coming in at the end. He doesn't. And no. so like, yeah, like, so I think that's something that it was almost just like a product of the time period and the yeah. conventions of like that kind of story that he was just like, well, this is what you do. I think that the thought of the time is that the narration speeds up the exposition and gets us into the space and we don't have a whole lot of time. So we're going to tell you what we, you know, we're going to tell you, we're going to tell you that these guys have cruel, hard, twisted bodies. We're going to tell you they're in a a dying race who imprison themselves because we're not going to show you. The problem with that is with this movie is they take a really long time to do they do so it's like why would you not show we've talked about this this a lot but why would you not show them becoming imprisoning themselves why would you not show the mystics becoming being natural wizards right um as opposed to that narration i will throw out that this movie does not need the narration for exposition at all it clarifies nothing and gives us nothing that we couldn't pick like we're do- we have to do the work anyway because what they give us isn't enough to explain anything in this narration well, uh, if you mute if you mute it right and you watch yeah. it without it 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 doesn't add anything to it i mean you still figure out that oh they're dying they're right growing old they're trying to figure out how to live forever that okay. you've got two groups of people here that seem they're living a parallel lives right mm-hmm. but they're both yeah, you figured that out pretty quickly. So that I gotta say though, I think they kind of they don't add that they don't add details about that until like the end. And it feels to Correct. me it felt very just like kind of thrown in. Like Henson was just like at the last minute, Henson was like, Oh hey, what if they're connected? And then like added it. Like, I don't know. So but yeah, you're right. But that is still it still gives us examples. So you as the viewer can still figure it out. Because if I'm being honest, by the time we got to those scenes at the end that did show that they were connected, I had forgotten that the narrator had told me that at the beginning. Right. Of the movie. Right. Right. I'm gonna throw out this. My theory is the narration was an afterthought. Um, and it is all about tone. In other words, Jim Henson is known for the Muppets at this point. You see right. puppets and you expect we're going to have some belly laughs. Kermit's going to wave his arms and go, yay! Uh, that, that there'll be songs and that there'll be joy and humor and okay. that sort of thing. And I think the idea is we don't want people laughing at the Skeksis. 
because there's a world in which we look at their movements, we hear like Muppet-like voices coming out of them, that people will treat them like Punch and right. Judy a little bit. Right, so the narrator, right. it's actually not important what he's saying. What's important is how serious he is taking what's happening here. That's a good point. Yeah, and, setting the tone for the world. Right. That he's, he's saying, if you are here to have a silly good time, you are in the wrong theater. We are going to be in the world of science fiction where these concepts are to be taken seriously. And that is honestly as a lot of darkness in this. Yeah, but as you're writing your script, right, you don't need the narrator. Yeah, it, it, is, <laughs> it is a flaw to have mm-hmm. a narrator do this is Betsy and this I, works. Betsy, my wife, and I have a rule with movies mm-hmm. that strike one is any movie that begins <laughs> a 1000 years ago, Zeus fought the Titans. And if you have to start your story there, you're not telling a good story. Yeah. Um, and that is, we don't stop movies because of that, but it is, it is a red flag in play when they mm-hmm. start with that sort of thing. And, and you know I love Jim Henson movies, and my love is uncompromising and pure. The narrative voice here is a red flag on the field. So why, so why does it start where it starts? I mean, you have the – we know that there's there are two dying leaders, right? Mm-hmm. We know that there's a Gelfling who's been raised by mystics. Uh, he's playing the pipes as his master is dying. Yeah. And his master says, you're in danger, and you've got to do this thing. But so I the- – Yeah. The but question, I don't really know much more than that. It, it seems like then it just sort of starts. So the question well, becomes, what is the inciting incident? Because that yes. should tell us why the exposition is, right. is here. Uh, and there's so much exposition that I... Th- so my theory is the inciting incident presents itself as exposition. So the, uh, okay, so so here is okay. right because because the convergence and all that is technically the inciting incident because that's why he needs to go at that time. So there's a it's like why the story needs to start. It's like prophecy. Destiny is saying now you have to start, and that's the inciting incident. So it's like today the clock is ticking. It hasn't been yet. dark to now. The dark crystal shows a vision. So we could say the emperor dying and a new Skeksis ascending to the throne is the inciting incident. Mm-hmm. And we would feel that way if the new emperor in some way had a new policy that was going to change the way he interacted with the rest of the world. Right. 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 Uh, what, what, we, what we actually see in the early parts of this, there's two factions in the Skeksis one faction supports the general to become the next emperor, and the other one um, supports the chamberlain. Uh, they they do a contest. The general wins. The chamberlain is mm-hmm. exiled, and you could. Right. And if the general then said, "And now, I am going to conquer the world," that would create an inciting incident that would move the story forward. But the general right. doesn't say that. And in fact, it feels like meet the new boss, same as the old boss. He's just going to continue with the policies that the old emperor had. Are, are you guys with me so yeah, far? Yeah, I'm completely yeah, with no, you. Sure. Yes. The inciting yeah. incident is the dark crystal manifests an image that reminds them of a prophecy that mm-hmm. a Gelfling 
could destroy the Skeksis once and for all. Right. Yeah. And that, that sound from the crystal, and then they see Jen, right? Yeah. Yeah. That sets them off that we need a new emperor and we need to hunt down the Gelfling. We thought we killed all of them. Turns out there's one that's still alive. Right. The mystics, now who are connected to the Skeksis, yep. know that this is about to happen, know that the great convergence is coming, are in tune with the universe, and know where they need to be on their great migration. Also know that they have this prophecy, and that because of it, Jen is going to be hunted. The inciting incident is the antagonists are activated to hunt down our hero, so our hero is activated to go on the quest. Go on the quest. Mm. It's not neat. And what makes it not neat is that there's no choice in the matter. Our protagonist protagonist is not presented with an option. He will either be killed or he will fulfill this quest. There is, there is, and who chooses being killed? What's in, what's in it right. for you on that? Right, But right. also at the same time, I didn't feel the tension of like, see, yeah, and I, I think one of this movie's biggest issues is the protagonist. Um, mm-hmm. And part of that comes from the fact that there is, yeah, there's no choice behind it. They're just like, okay, I guess this is what I'm doing. Um, and even, yeah, you're right, Larry, there is the threat of being killed. But even to that extent, I didn't feel like a, like a... Um, like Conan the Barbarian has that where it's like he makes a choice simply because if he doesn't, he'll die. But I still felt tension that like, oh, there's a threat here. And in Dark Crystal, it still felt too much like a everything's I made it because I was told everything's going to be fine. Like, well, I don't I don't feel any kind of tension behind him being like, oh, no, I'm threatened to go on this quest. I have to go. I and think that I think, think the, that I think the fix might be if you had Jen who is because this does leave Jen a bit passive, doesn't it? Um, yes, and so he's extremely passive throughout the whole movie. And yeah, that's my so biggest I think the, issue with him. The fix would be to kind of switch up the orders that the that the crystal would have this whirring sound that they would be going after him, but then the death needs to happen. After he's like, I'm not going to go. Right, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to stay right here and be right. comfortable. And then, but then right. his master dies. And then after his master dies, he's he's forced into it, and that would give you the Conan, that's the much barbarian better. kind yeah. of thing. Yeah, I mean, part of me wonders if we should see the Gelfling Holocaust at the beginning of this, uh, because it it would impact us in a way that, like, like Jen, that you know, like, don't you need? There's no bit of vengeance. In this but for do you Jen. do you know? Yeah, right. Jen has no reason to go on this quest. Exact, right? He exactly. ha, It's not a mission. His He's race being is told extinct. to do it. Yeah. He's the la- as far as he knows, he's the, he's last, the last Gelfling, and right. no matter what he does, that's it. He's done. So I right. could see a a more mature version of this being Gelf uh, that Jen doesn't live with the mystics that he's been pretending not to be a Gelfling has been hiding his features. When Mm -hmm. people ask, he says, I'm no Gelfling and the mystics seek him out. And initially, that's great. And initially, uh, and that would be the inciting incident, right? With the mystics seeking him out. Well, also it's like by, I mean, let's be honest here. This is, 
this is very much like the tale of Moses or the tale of Christ, where it's like this prophesized child is well, much closer to Moses, the story of Moses then, because you have uh, the, the story of Christ, you know, uh, the, the um, Pharaoh killing off all the yes. you know, children in order to prevent that. Obviously, Herod did the same thing with killing off the, the firstborn uh, boys. But still, it's so it's, you know, so if you did start with the prologue being that Holocaust, then that would have been a more emotional way to ground yourself in the story. You don't just have a disembodied voice telling you about this. You see Jin, you know, they have that moment where they do like the Vulcan mind meld and they like, you know, see each other's, you know, right, right, histories right, right. and all that stuff. And we do get glimpses of it. But it it's in the wrong place. It comes too late. Exactly. It it's comes way too late. It completely it stops the story to a halt. Like the pacing is horrific. And you're, in that and you're like, well, what am I watching? Stop. It's like, what am I watching? Right. It's weird. It's not yeah. explained what's happening. It just happens. And then they're like, oh, we're, we're, we're touching minds. And you're like, oh, that's weird. But no, you're right. Like showing that in the beginning, that is why we have the prophecy. That is why we're emotionally connected to Jin. Like that's, I mean, yeah, we exactly. You started with there. Agree. We need it sooner. Mm-hmm. We need so, it sooner. I'm going to move us forward in plot because there's a lot to there's a lot to untangle, and honestly, plot is the least of it. <laughs> um, essentially, what we watch for rising action is Jen going on the quest. Along the way, there are a number of different episodes. Jen meets with Agra, the mystic, mm-hmm. and is correctly able to choose out which shard of the dark crystal is the one that he needs in order to heal the Dark Crystal. He runs into Kira, a female Gelfling, uh, who, you know, the two of them immediately bond because, you know, they are each other's ideal. Um, who, who else is there for them? <laughs> yeah, that's um, all you got, really. <laughs> but, but they also seem to have a strong, generate a strong emotional bond, even beyond the you're the last Gelfling on Earth thing that's going for them. Mm-hmm. They have encounters with the Chamberlain, who offers, yes. in an interesting way, to make peace between the Skeksis and the Gelfling. Um, although, exactly how I want to talk about the Chamberlain in more in great yes. detail. He is by far the most fascinating character in this movie yep. for me. Agree. I was going to say the exact same thing. Agree. Yes. Um, but ultimately, what happens is. Kira is captured by the Skeksis. Jen goes to the rescue along with the Dark Crystal. The climax of this movie, I think we can all agree, is the confrontation between Jen, Kira, and the Skeksis regarding the Dark Crystal. Correct. Um, that That is it. There's, there's <laughs> nothing it. else it could be, and I don't no. think we need to unpack it. And then in the falling action, because Jen has put the shard back into the dark crystal, the mystics and the Skeksis merge into yeah. a single uh, higher plane sort of being. Yeah, what their original body was. Yes, what they were before before the split. And we get the promise that this will be a new age in Thra, and it will be a good age. The last age was a dark age where Skeksis ruled. This next, this next age will be an age of wisdom. Let's say enlightenment. Uh, mm-hmm. Enlightenment. And I don't actually want to do more of the plot than that. 
I think that's the well, plot. Is there anything yeah, I missed, Andy? Yeah, that's pretty much it. I mean, yeah, broad strokes. There is, I mean, there's like, because because the thing is, it's all it's all geared towards like a prophecy. So there isn't any, there aren't any like side adventures where like a character goes on a side quest to do a whole lot because it's all just tied into that. So yeah, that's pretty much all of it. Yeah, there's you a- have the Chamberlain fighting for his own like. Like the Chamberlain would be the only other character I think that has like some sort of side thing going on. And, and it's yeah. just him trying to save his own like dignity and like get his position back and stuff like that. Um, yeah, which yeah, is I, a result of the duel in the beginning where he loses. I was just going to say the Chamberlain seems to have kind of a B story. Too. Yeah. I I, but I think that. we should talk yeah. about all that with his character. With sure. Him. Let's yeah. do that. And, and I think in the, in the resolution, like this theme emerges about, I mean, I started really thinking about it, like frac- your fractured self and how it, you know, how a person unites those fractured parts of themselves to become your fullest, most realized creature. Right. And how the crystal almost represents truth. And like when truth is darkened or deprived of its light source, in this case, the sun's right, it loses its power. But then when yeah. you can see things, it becomes. So I think the ending is really great. Yes. I think how we get, I think how we get there mm-hmm. is problematic. So there's a lot going on in this movie, especially thematic wise. And it's definitely got a lot of uh, allegories and, and different mm-hmm. things that you can look at and say like, Oh, this probably represents this. And this probably represents that. And I think the, I think that's amazing. And I think that shows that Jim Henson was thinking on multiple levels, but I think the problem is that in doing that, he made the movie almost exclusively about what it thematically represents. And he forgot that like, it needs like an actual moving plot mm-hmm. and stuff. Because, I mean, like, yeah, especially with, like, the Skeksis and the way the world and they treat the rest of the world, it's very much like you could argue uh, at the time period it was the 80s. So it was probably Sim saying something about communists with, like, the, the higher power up on top and then everyone else on the bottom. And then obviously nowadays with, like, kind of capitalism gone awry, it's the same thing. It's this right. kind of ruling class and then the people that are suffering underneath um, obviously there's the biblical, you know, allegories and comparisons and stuff. So it's like, I think, I think he has a lot going on here so much so that he like kind of forgot that the story needs to move. I would yeah, argue moved, the story moves as slowly as the mystics. Right? <laughs> I would argue that to treat this movie like a movie, the way that we're doing is to probably miss what was important to him. What was important to him was the innovation in puppetry. The okay, can absolutely. I create a re- a living, breathing world that is entirely puppet-based, right? The stuff that right. he's doing here is going to create advances for so many other movies in the future. Oh, yeah. Right? And and that's probably what appealed to him. I'm gonna I'm gonna level at this movie the same thing we leveled at Tron. This is a movie that probably has so much world building that there are probably hundreds of pages like detailing the ecosystem, the history, yes. the, mm-hmm. the, the various ages of Thra, how the three suns work, how the crystal works, where the Skeksis and the mystics come from. Right. But you need your PhD in the dark crystal to enjoy that. Yeah. Right. And yes. None of us going into the movie have that, could possibly have that PhD mm-hmm. 
in thraology to to, right. to be like ah yes of course the age of, the age of reason that we are now in like like right it, but there's a sense of you're right the puppetry creates the sense of wonder yes so it's kind of like with Mary yes. Poppins and watching all of that mechanical how did they do that magic right mm-hmm. um I I think the how did they do that part of it is is really this it is a is spectacle. Yeah. Spectacle. Yeah. More yep. than the it is. The world that plot. exists in. And right. we as writers tend to be focused on things like plot and character over spectacle. Right. Uh, you know, we try to create good spectacle in our writing, but but generally speaking, we are we are tied more towards plot and character. And I just don't think that was the priority there. So if you look at well, this and movie I, with I, different I think priorities. I, I yeah. think you see, you see, yeah. you have a different metric for success. When we watch movies today, though, how many times do you come out of the theater and go, gosh, how much did they spend on this movie? And could they just have spent, I don't know, a million dollars on the script? That would have been nice. Right. But when you watch movies today, you don't actually ask, how did they do this? Because the answer is always computers. CGI. Yeah, that's true. And in, I mean, yeah. honestly, yeah. yeah. Looking at Dark Crystal is like one. I mean, you're right. The whole world building, everything within it is like amazing. And from a technical standpoint, it's fantastic. Especially like those, the the, the things that they write on, that's like clearly it's like dudes in suits on stilts. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, like just the skill it takes for a person to be doing that and going that fast and like it's amazing it's acrobatic so cool yeah the 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 creatures the visuals the world it exists in is fascinating Mm -hmm. absolutely but like yeah it's a shame that we almost like we only have this like little tiny bit of time that we spend here in this world because Mm -hmm. there's so much that you could you know get into and i would also throw out watching this movie is kind of like the experience of reading uh, Edith Hamilton's Greek mythology book or or Robert's Gra- Robert Graves, where you get the sort of here's what happened of it, but you don't really get inside the characters and inhabit the story. You get the right. summary of the story. Very much the appendices That's of Lord of the Rings. It. It's a yeah. summary. This is a summary movie. It's, <clears throat> excuse me. This is a summary That's, movie. Wow, yeah. And, yeah, and unfortunately, you know, I'm not really here to learn. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I am. I want to be entertained. I want to I go to right. right. Yes, you right. want to be entertained through that, and I think that's like the biggest issue with this movie is the 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 passiveness and and the fact that the protagonist is not activated, which I think affects the pacing greatly. Mm-hmm. There are other things that affect the pacing, like where they place the mind meld scene and things like that. But I think the fact that he's not like actively like fighting towards something until like the last act of the movie really helps or excuse me it 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 really hurts like how quickly that first half you know goes by and it's very slow and very like plodding and like yeah. you know parts of it feel disjointed well let's talk about jen a little bit um and get into character uh yeah. he's he is flat he is a bit passive i mean you could argue that his arc goes from passive to active but that's not really that doesn't make for a great movie Unless you're really making that really clear, what what he doesn't seem to have any kind of feelings to oh, me. No, I don't you don't know. think so? I think that's a little harsh. I think until I think well, what, until, until Kira dies. I mean, I, he just feels kind of flat to me. So let's keep in mind who he was raised by. He was raised essentially by monks, 
And monks uh, teach you to transcend desire. Okay. Right? Like, like that, that is sort of, he's been raised to be a mystic culturally and not well, really. Then they need to actively show that. Yeah. Like, talk about, yes. That. Yes. And be like, I was trained to not feel anything, but I care about Kira, you know? Right. But right, that's right. what and this. And that be a conflict, right? What this should be is even before, even before the, the, the master dies and the, the Skeksis start hunting for Jen. What we should see is Jen doesn't belong with the mystics because he's too emotional and he can't transcend desire the way that they do. And when they, and when they send him away, it should feel to him like he failed. He Mm -hmm. he's tried to be a mystic his whole life because he loves them so much, but these feelings, he gets mad. The Skeksis killed his whole family. He's mm-hmm. mad. He's the last of his kind. And as much as he's tried to process all of that and compartmentalize all of that and throw all of that away, he can't. So she should initially read the mystic saying as, we're going on a journey to be like his fault. Right? They're leaving him or they're sending yeah. him away because he doesn't belong with them because he's too emotional. None of right. that is in this movie. None of the, no, it should yeah. be. No, none of it. Yeah. But but what what's actually he's done maybe too good a job of being trained by the mystics right. uh, and has no and has no idea how to be a gelfling. Which Right. Which could, He learns from Kira, right? He learns from Kira how to be a gelfling. It, but th- that good. requires that's there, also not clear either. That requires no. there to be more survivors of Gelflings. It requires him to right. find a small village of of Gelflings and be able to say, "I'm different Kung from Fu the Fu rest Fu. of you," in some way, shape, or form. That if the other he meets the other Gelflings and they're all timid and shy and afraid uh-huh. to expose themselves to the world, but he's like, you know, I was taught that with goodness and virtue you know, evil can be defeated. We would see like, oh, he's different from them. The way he's different from all the other Gelflings is they're dead. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, mean, that's hilarious. No, I I really thought when he met Kira though, I really thought that she was going to introduce him to another world of we've all been hanging out. We need you to lead us. We're all terrified. Sure, That would be great. But that, yeah, that didn't happen. No, it's not. Being the chosen one implies that there are other people who could have been chosen, not that you're the last man standing. So I have a question about Kira. If the Skeksis are always watching, why didn't they kill Kira? <laughs> well, because they, when you say that they're always watching, what they're not omniscient. You but know, they, they sent the Landstriders out to kill, do all the killing. Like, why did she escape? Does anybody... Well, she was... Well, they, they explained... Yeah, they have that in the li- the little mind meld scene where it's like, oh, mom hid me or something like that. But I guess I guess they just after they did the first the major massacre, they were just like, oh, we got them all. I mean, yeah, I, they're, I, so they're lazy. They're lazy killers. <laughs> I don't know that they're lazy killers. It's just they missed one. I mean, that is, as Brett pointed out, the story of Moses. Pharaoh's like, I'm yeah, going to kill is. all the yeah. male Hebrews. Yeah. So we, so he they did it one. twice. It's Moses on top of Moses. Yeah. You have girl Moses and yeah. boy Moses. So you have like this like 
they're both they both basically have the same story of like I was mm. hidden, someone saved me during the massacre, like kind of thing. Right. Um, my question about Kira is if she has wings, why didn't she use them earlier? That's my second question. <laughs> <laughs> well my second question. I can answer that. The th- okay. The, the thing about wings is she was taught to conceal them because if she flies in the sky, the Skeksis will see her. That would okay. be that would be my answer. Is that she would that that you are much more visible if you're up in the sky. So now okay. that the Skeksis are hunting them anyway, it's time to mm-hmm. unveil the wings. Um, but but that's why she didn't do it before. I'm with Brett. She could have flown away from him. I she still just like, more. well, not maybe not even necessarily like before the story starts. I'm talking about like after she meets Jin, between the point when she meets him and when she actually does use the wings in the movie, there are plenty of moments like between them where it's like, well, using your wings could have helped you get out of this situation. Like you and Jin, like get away from someone, but she doesn't use them until like that very last moment. And I was like, oh, all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna try on this one. Okay, like okay. by my first <laughs> swing at this, I'll take another swing. Maybe she can't fly. Maybe she can glide. When she, I mean, she really kind of only does like right, right. So, she okay. she she right. goes to rescue. She she she's at a height and she swoops down, but she doesn't gotcha. have like. She doesn't have like a runway where she picks up great speed and then like takes <laughs> takes off. Um, it's it's just not that kind of flying. She's more like the gargoyles from Disney Gargoyles. If there's a current, hey. if there's wind, uh, she she can you ride know, it. If there's a way, if there's a way to 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 sneak gargoyles in here, Larry will find. I it. found it. <laughs> I did find it. <laughs> All right, let's talk about the Skeksis. Skeksis. Um, they enjoy becoming young again, right? They are mm-hmm. evil. Um, it's not just that they enjoy becoming young again. They are afraid of death. Yeah, yeah isn't so the whole thing that like this has never happened it. before? They've always they've always used like gelflings and all this stuff to like suck out the life essence and live forever. Mm-hmm. And now that they're out of it. They're all dying, and so it's like a new experience. They right? have no whole... souls, the Skeksis. No. Right. No. And because they have no souls, bodily death is oblivion for them. Mm-hmm. It is the and the mystics are their souls, right? Right. Um, right. Right. So they will do whatever they can do to prolong their own existence because that is what your base, corrupt, material, worldly pleasure loving self will force you to do <laughs> anything to to grasp on to a few more minutes, a few more hours, and there are no lines that they won't cross. It's not that right. they enjoy being young. It's that they're afraid of being old. Interesting. And I think that's a really great, I mean, like, yeah, it's this, it's this almost like universal kind of fear. And it's this universal like theme of like, you know, sucking the life essence out of someone to, 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 you know, like very vampiric in Mm -hmm. nature, very much like from that old school kind of like lore. Mm -hmm. And for being honest, for, for a, 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 I mean, obviously Jim Henson is trying to do something more mature, but it's still somewhat of a family movie or whatever. The scene where he, they suck that poor little Gelfling's uh, 
or it's not a Podling. It's what, what Podling. Like, Podlings. Mm-hmm. That is that's scary. Like that's scary. Look at when when the eyes like pull, when the whole face pulls back and it's like you just see it get sucked out of him. Like that's that is a, a real moment. That's why they also, killed you know, like, the Gelflings. They killed the Gelflings yeah. to eat their life force. Yes, and sustain yes. themselves exactly. But it, it also blood. kind of that sucking thing reminds me of uh, Doc Hopper in the Muppet movie. You know, he's going to and how he's uh, going to kill. It reminds it. me of the device from the <clears throat> Princess Bride, where I'm like, I just sucked uh, away a yes. year of your life. How did it feel? Yes. You know, this is for posterity. Uh, I thought. Do you want to talk? About, should we talk about the Chamberlain? Well, yes, the, the Chamberlain. Chamberlain of all of them is fascinating to me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, Mm-hmm. The other Skeksis, mostly because the general is the one in charge, seem to be more violent and impulse control challenged than the Chamberlain is. The Chamberlain... Okay. I know that the Chamberlain is vile and terrible and bad, probably the worst of the bunch, all things considered. What makes him the worst of the bunch is that he understands the concept of goodness. Mm-hmm. Yes. He knows. Yes. And he's to, very manipulative with it. He knows how to appeal to Jen's better nature. So whereas if any other Skeksis had run into Jen, they would have just killed him on sight, grabbed him in a snet, brought him back to the general for the reward immediately. The Chamberlain is like, the Skeksis just want peace. You know, come with me. We will be friends. Right? He right. knows right. Trap. what good pe the good people want to hear these things, and he's cunning enough to offer them. Yes. And there's a but see the thing is that what I love about that character is like especially in that moment where he's begging them and they run away and he's yelling please please, please. there is like legitimate like like passion in that voice. He he mm-hmm. is trying so hard. He like I feel like that voice is almost on the brink of tears where it's just like I need this. I need this. And it's not and what I love about that is it's not just what you were saying where he understands that and it's a manipulation and all that stuff, but it's like he's trying to save his own ego. And he's like, because it's like, no, I've lost all of like the credence and everything that I've been stripped of everything. And this is like so personal for him, too. And it's almost like this, like he's begging them of to like save to save himself in a way, in a way. Like, so and they- I think that's like it adds an extra layer of like interesting to him you know because it's very egotistical you're right the evil characters though seem to have far more going on than the mystics the mystics are boring well i (laughs) i i mean i don't know if we're ready to turn the mystics yet but i i I, we we kind of have to but um like so they they move slowly they are unafraid of death they are they they're falling rocks they're danger like, why is there, it just seems, and it seems like they are in a war with the Skeksis, but they're not they don't in interact. They should be. But here, yes. because they're monks, they have an understanding to, to right. the detriment of maybe this movie, that nothing that happens in this mortal life actually matters. What matters is the life beyond. 
And therefore, it is fighting evil is ultimately pointless because your higher self ascends to another plane, wanting things, taking action, intruding upon the world around you, uh, is all of that is sign of like the like buying into the illusion that what happens in this reality matters and they won't fall into that trick. Now, mm-hmm. it is grossly irresponsible because Amen. by their inaction, they <laughs> right. cause harm. They're creating and, well, suffering, yeah, but, but, right? But also, shouldn't they technically have more in like? They, they should have more in here with the stakes because, I mean, okay, so there are no the stakes, whole thing, right? No, but but, but the Skeksis are what, an illusion, right? However, was what would have happened if Jin had not completed the Dark Crystal before the Great Convergence? Would they they would not have been joined together? Correct, right? But so so that means. That the Skeksis would have died, and the, so so the problem is, yeah, the monks don't care that about the convergence. Correct. So they should care, like it should be something where when they got split, both of them got affected. The convergence need this needs to happen for both of them to really have a higher plane. But the Skeksis only see their own lives, whereas the monks realize if they don't if they don't merge then they can't go on to the next plane. Skeksis don't care about that. They just want to live forever. If I was like kind of thing, because that, yeah, you're right. Cause if he hadn't, if he hadn't joined the crystal up and Mm -hmm. the convergence had passed, Skeksis would have died and gone on to oblivion. Monks would have died, gone on to afterlife. Same as regardless of whatever. If so, there isn't like a, if I was going to build a, a document about what's happening in this movie, it would not be that the mystics and the Skeksis were accidentally sundered. It would be yeah. sort of a Jekyll and Hyde sort of thing where the idea was we are going to expel all evil from our being in order to become as good as possible. And once they decided to do that, they did become good and they disassociated themselves with their evil counterparts and ignored them. Not reali- not realizing or caring. Uh, and that what we would need to do in this, not just get the Skeksis reabsorbed by the mystics, is the mystics need to be convinced to take their evil back. Yeah, that's there's right. the, yeah, the yeah. whole yin and yang, problem. the balance. You need to understand. Yeah, for sure. The real problem is the mystics aren't doing anything and they're thrusting yeah. it all on Jen and Jen should be able to say, you say that you love me, but what is your love worth? You do, you give me nothing. Yeah, you, you will watch me die. You say you love me. They you have to, to take suffering, the evil right? back in to defeat that evil. And the mystics mm-hmm. don't seem to be up to that task or job. Right. And I would argue that kind of goodness is evil. I don't like it. Indifference. Because they're like, like, I can't control what evil, what other evils people do, even though I, like, it's my evil out there. I'm good now. So, you know. Yeah, no, for sure. That's, and that's, that's a problem is that you're right. Because yeah, if if he hadn't, if he hadn't joined the crystal, you know, they would have died and the mystics would have gone on and they would have been perfectly fine the way they are, you know, 
They didn't suppress their appetites. They removed their appetites. And that's unnatural. They weren't willing to do the work to become the mystics for real. They they Mm -hmm. did this. They they artificially got rid of it. Yes. Towards towards transcendence, which is garbage. And Mm. and welcome to my new podcast, Why I Hate the Mystics, where every week I take a different mystic Uh. and I take them to task in the court of public opinion. Disney, Disney, you know, I know you're fond of remakes. Um, This is a hot take, good remake version. Yeah. You know, we're we're giving it real gravitas. We're giving it real stakes, real emotion. And real dramatic. Do this version of Dark Crystal. And real dramatic (laughs) tension, right? Because that's that's what's missing. The stakes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Like if 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 the prophecy isn't fulfilled, what happens? Right, we don't. Know. Everyone dies, but the mystics go on, and it's fine. Okay. The, the The premise appears to be the Skeksis will continue to do what they've done before. We'll have yeah. to wait another thousand years for someone else to get a shot at healing the Dark Crystal. It's yeah. it's yeah. Groundhog's Day. Uh, <laughs> that's what it is. Uh, that, that, years the Skeksis didn't join with the Mystics. It's going to be a long winter. That's it. <laughs> Gracious. Yeah, for sure. All right. I think that's a great way of, of going through that, though. I think I think that's, yeah. Okay, that, so. Adding that emotional stake. Yeah, for sure. So, well, let's do a pitch. Let's do pitch time. So, okay. given the prequel, right, which you guys right. have seen, and I have not, uh, what would we do with this material? We've kind of been talking about it already, but what would you guys do? Well, I would love to do, I mean, yes, we had the prequel, but the prequel still starts in like Skeksis and all that are already still a thing. So the split already happened and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So I would love almost like a paradise lost kind of prequel to the prequel. I want to watch these original beings you know, and I want to see them go through like what what Larry just discussed, where it's like this idea of we're going to become good, we're going to become enlightened. They're trying to better themselves, and then the split happens, and like how that affects them, and then seeing them split from their original beings to the mystics and the Skeksis. I think that would be a fascinating story. I want to I want to throw onto there. Uh, I don't think the Skeksis were immediately evil. I think they've become more corrupt along the journey. And even in the prequel, they're pretty corrupt when we when we start seeing them. But I would love to see the early days of the Skeksis as they're discovering that they're corrupt. That that like as they're coming into their roles of I'm the Chamberlain, I'm the general, I'm the scientist. Uh that that self-discovery. I also, I'm gonna throw out there, the mystics should feel different. Right there, they are mm-hmm. as like. What are their different roles? What are their different personalities? Are they mm-hmm. all just clones of each other? That's how it feels, right? They don't feel very differentiated, do they? No, no. Uh, I want differentiated mystics with different pieces of wisdom to offer. Which, again, the prequel series starts to deliver on these things. If only we got more seasons of it, I think we'd have it. But I want to see the early days of the Mystics and the Skeksis, not the later days. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Andy, what do you got? I think, I think well, this is this is almost like you know with when Tolkien wrote Lord of the Rings, like it's the end of the story, right? Lord of the Rings is the final journey in like everything that happens in Middle Earth. If the movie is the final journey in everything that happens in the 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 history of of Thrall and all that stuff, like let's 
let's we have to expand on stuff that happens beforehand. So my pitch, um, I I kind of went a little different direction. So the Muppets have done a lot of great road movies, right? Um, oh my but gosh. I think but I think they I think they need to take a page from the Dark Crystal and 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 do a, another fantasy film. I'd like to see them remake Dragon Slayer with the best elements of the Dark Crystal, except with Muppets, right? So you have a fire breathing dragon terrorizing all the littles, demanding Muppet sacrifices. I wish you could see Dad. these guys' face right now. Larry's eyes are popping out of his head. Um, this is but, amazing. <laughs> but the Wizard's Apprentice, Scooter. Who, by the way, I think is way overdue for a protagonist role. You and I have discussed this. I have off, yes. offline. Uh, scooter takes on the dragon and ultimately secures Muppet Kingdom forever. So, That's so in, <laughs> That's in thing. this world, which Andy is positing, instead of taking on classic literature, the Muppets just decide to redo all the classic movies from the 80s. We get yes. Muppets Dragon Slayer. We get yes. Muppets Tron, Muppets Princess Her- Bride. Kermit get- the Barbarian. <laughs> I'm here for the- Kermit the Barbarian. Oh. Piggy, Piggy the Barbarian, right? <laughs> oh. Wow, that's my so yeah. Wow, I think, I think it would be. I think it would be a really cool. And I Muppet started thinking Pretty about. Woman. Yep, you got it. <laughs> Muppet Pretty Gonzo Woman is Cop. awesome. That's yep. awesome. There, you heard it here, folks. This is, <laughs> this is what we're doing. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Yes. Well. Brett, thank you for helping us unpack this very difficult movie. Um, thank you for having me. Again. Although I really I enjoyed it. I will say, like, I enjoyed the watch of this movie. I saw it as yeah, an too. allegory. I felt like mm-hmm. it was an allegory, even for our time. And I can I understand see, why they went and, and why Netflix did the prequel. I get it. I still love this movie, but it's an I love it, but not an I love it because. Right, uh, right. Yeah. That those, those are the two... That's the range of emotion for me with Jim Henson. I love it, but, or I love it because that's, that's, and it. The, there's no the third spectacle, option. The spectacle is, uh, the puppetry is, uh, yes, ridiculous. It's so wonderful. Beautiful. So wonderful. Yeah, so thanks again, Brett, for hanging out with us. Yeah. Today. Thanks for having me, guys. It's always a pleasure. Larry, what? With you. All right. Larry, what movie are we doing le- next week? Next week? I have not seen this movie yet, and I'm not even sure it's really a movie movie, but we're watching The Sign of Zorro from 1958, which is available on Disney+. Plus. You can find it. Don't watch the Zorro series, although, I mean, you could if you want to. I can't stop you. (laughs) What am I going to do? But we're not discussing the full series. We are discussing The Sign of Zorro. That's right. All right. Well, if you like what you're hearing, will you do us a favor and share this podcast with another Disney or classic movie fan? And please check out our Once Upon a Disney Facebook page or drop us a line in our mailbag at onceuponadisneypodcast at gmail.com. So until next time, friends, see you real soon. Mm-hmm.